Welcome everyone to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I'm your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 29 of the 2021 podcast series, taking a look at the draft eligible prospects and getting you ready for the NFL draft set to begin April 29th. Hard to believe we're now less than three weeks away until the draft kicks off in Cleveland, Ohio. We're actually going to have prospects available and ready and there, hear their names called, actually be able to walk out and get to meet Roger Goodell in person. It feels like we're getting back to some semblance of normalcy and all is right in the world uh, when we actually have a draft and it's going to be exciting. We actually, it sounds like in another year, we'll actually be able to see Vegas get its chance to host the draft. Looking forward to seeing what they're going to be able to do there uh, with the Bellagio if they go ahead and decide that they're going to try to transport draft picks there, um, shuttling them with with the boats. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what can happen there uh, in, in next year's draft. But you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves. You know, we're looking at the 2021 draft. And again, I, I keep trying to put together my mock draft and, and really showcase the very next mock draft of mine. And every time I think I'm about ready to release the first round, what happens Breaking news hits. And it seems like it just happens every time I turn around, every time I'm trying to release my my, my mock draft. And the next thing you know, what happens? We, we get the trade of Sam Darnold. That's the latest one. Sam Darnold going to Carolina. Jets uh, end up giving up three picks to, to Carolina. One, I believe, was a six-round pick in the 2021 draft. And then a, a two additional picks, including a second rounder uh, in, in 2022. I believe the Jets now have seven picks in the first two rounds over the next two drafts. So again, Joe Douglas building some draft capital. And they can really do a lot with this organization. They don't really want to follow the same track record as their predecessors. And really making that mistake. They never really gave Sam Darnold much of a chance. Now you got Zach, you know, Zach Wilson is likely going to be the the quarterback they're bringing in you need to continue to build around your quarterback continue to get offensive weapons and they've done that already you know you you figure you have Jamison Crowder who's going to be your slot receiver and you also have Denzel Mims who's been an up-and-coming rookie showed some promise towards the end of the season then you get Corey Davis Corey Davis comes in and what does Corey Davis do Corey Davis is a guy, you know, he's a former first-round pick. He's a veteran. He loves, eats, drinks, sleeps football. He loves football. So you get a guy in there. I think he'll be a nice mentor as well for uh, for Zach Wilson there. He's a, he's a pro's pro there at the receiver position. But you need to get a tight end. You know, Christopher Hearn is a, a nice tight end, but I think you need to get a one. You need to get a tight end at some point. Uh, and then also that running back position. Frank Gore's gone. Uh, and so you're talking about Michael P. Ryan. You're talking about Josh Adams. You, know, you really have a running back by committee, if you will. If you're looking at 23 now, Jets, I think you have to target Najee Harris if he's there. If not, maybe you're considering uh, Travis Etienne. Might be a little bit you know, of a reach to, to go after Etienne at 23, but you need to build around Zach Wilson. So conceivably what you could have is Wilson at two Najee Harris at 23 
And then with that, that first pick in the second round, you could go pass rusher. You could get a guy like Joseph Osai, um, possibly uh, Carlos Boogie Basham, even Ronnie Perkins. Because you have to overhaul that defense with, with Robert Sala. You could also go offensive line, continue to upgrade that line to protect your investment with Zach Wilson. It's going to be interesting to see exactly how this plays out for the Jets, but I really think they have to make sure that they make it a priority to take care of Zach Wilson, both up front and with his weapons around him. So what does that do for Carolina? Carolina gets Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold already you know, has better weapons than he did when he was with the Jets. I mean, come on, he's, he's got Christian McCaffrey. You know, CMC, uh, you know, you... You've got one of the best running backs in the game. He's reunited with with his his main man uh, Robbie Anderson, and we already know that DJ Moore, you know, he's a thousand yard receiver as well. So he's already got some really nice weapons. Carolina, I think what they do, and we've already seen kind of the the roadmap for success with Matt Rule. Um, he already upgraded the defensive line in last year's draft. I think. That eighth overall pick is going to be focused on the offensive line. Why? you got to protect your investment in Sam Darnold. And really, the, the biggest thing is, is you've got Russell Okun, who is not back. He's that left tackle. And you use the franchise tag on Taylor Moten, right? So you use the franchise tag on Taylor Moten. So you ultimately need a, a left tackle. And so I think this pick is going to come down to one of two guys. It has to. Panay Sewell could absolutely fall to them at number eight. Think about it. You've got quarterbacks coming off the board in the first three picks. Likely, Lawrence, Wilson, and then probably Jones. Unless Fields is able to change the opinion of Shanahan and Lynch with his second pro day coming up on April 15th. After that, you're talking about, you know, Atlanta could potentially trade down. But if they stay put, I think they go Kyle Pitts there. Then you've got a run, I think, on the next three picks will be receivers. I think they'll all be, it'll be Chase, it'll be Smith, it'll be Waddle. So then you get to Carolina at eight. Who's still sitting there on the board? Panay Sewell. You take Panay Sewell, you get him as your left tackle, and uh, you, you let things go. I mean... Here, conceivably, what you could also have is, you know, you've got Cam Irving on the line. Cam Irving can really play just about anywhere on that line. So you think about it, Irving can play left tackle and you kick Sewell inside to guard. Panay Sewell, you look at his body type, he reminds me a lot of, of Brandon Sheriff, a guy who was a, a tackle at Iowa and now is an all-pro guard. So I, I think that could definitely happen there if they are comfortable with Cam Irving at left tackle. Uh, they also have Greg Little there as well. You know, but this offensive line, you know, they brought in Matt, uh, Pat Elfline. They've got uh, Matt Paradis at, at center, Moten at right tackle. You're really starting to mold this, this offensive line, and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Now, say Panay Sewell co- goes off the board, whether it's the Falcons, whether it's the Bengals, he's going to end up, you know, there's a good chance he ends up getting, you know, getting taken in the first five picks. It's, you know, it is conceivable. At one point, he was talked about as one of the top two or three prospects in this draft. What has he done since then? You know, and that's the thing that, that blows my mind is suddenly Panay Sewell is not that good of a prospect. Well, what changed? Nothing really changed. 
I mean, especially you don't have any other game film, so you, you what? You, you watch the game film again, and now all of a sudden you have a different opinion of the guy? I don't know. I mean, it, it just seems like people are looking to, to try to fit their, their narratives and, and try to watch some of the film and, hey, you know what, he stumbled, stumbled over his feet here and fell down. He didn't give up a sack as a as a sophomore and only gave up one as a freshman. You know, I mean, as far as the footwork is concerned, it looked pretty pretty clean for the most part. You can find you know some sloppy reps out of just about every prospect. Uh, but if he's off the board, man, I'm looking at Rashawn Slater. Look, Slater can play left tackle. He can play play left guard. Really, he's he has five position versatility. So he's going to end up being that guy as well. So I think one of those two guys should be the pick there for Carolina. Here is the one curveball. What if Kyle Pitts is on the board at eight? If I'm Carolina, I'm running to the podium as quickly as I can. I take Kyle Pitts right there. Why? I'm looking at that second round. And in the second round, if I'm Carolina, at that point, I get my offensive tackle. I'm getting Dylan Radins. I'm getting Samuel Cosme. Liam Eikenberg may fall. They're going to be guys to be had in round number two if you end up taking Kyle Pitts. I think Kyle Pitts, you need that tight end. Ian Thomas has kind of been a disappointment. They brought in Dan Arnold, who's really penciled in right now, potentially as a starter. Uh, our lads right now actually has uh, you know Dan Arnold listed as the starter there at tight end. Uh, so it, it's interesting. You know, It'll be interesting to see exactly how this all plays out. Um, but... Look, if Kyle Pitts comes off the board in the top five picks, which I'm expecting him to uh, either go to Atlanta or if he's sitting there on the board at five, I think since he could, could pull the trigger as well, um, he's not going to be there at eight. You know, I think it, I think that pick will be Pene Sewell. So that kind of changes things up, shifts things around just a little bit uh, up front. And then, you know, there are going to be some players that are going to slide. You're going to see, I think there'll be quite a few receivers taken. Uh, and you'll probably see some edge rushers that may slip into round two that have first round ability. Why am I talking about edge rushers? Well, today we're actually going to talk about the defensive end position. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys obviously are edge rushers because they're defensive ends. Um, I'm dividing dividing it up between the defensive ends and the outside linebackers. Uh, you know, guys like Quincy Roche, I'm actually looking at him as more of an outside linebacker. He's an undersized defensive end, so really I need to move him outside. Uh, the rest of the defensive ends, you know, that's really who we're going to be talking about here. Uh, so the defensive end position, when we look at the draft, uh, over the last five years, what's crazy is um, you know, we, we've it really fluctuates. Uh, in 2016, you only had 19 uh, defensive ends taken. And then 2017, 2018, it started building 21, 22. And then 2019, we had just 18 defensive ends taken. And that was the draft where we had uh, Nick Bosa, Cleveland Furl, Rashawn Gary, Montez Sweat, and LJ Collier all taken in round number one. And then the draft class after that, you know, I mean, what's crazy, Max Crosby was a steal for the Raiders at four. He's out playing the guy that was taken number four overall. Uh, you know, and you look at the the some of the names that are on there, guys that you're just waiting to uh, see if they're going to really break out. Jalen Ferguson is a guy that comes to mind, a guy that was just a sack artist there for Louisiana Tech. Is he going to be a guy that's going to pan out there for the Raiders? Um, I'm sorry, the Ravens. Uh, Charles Charles Omenihu, I'm looking at him at, at you know with the Texans. Is he going to elevate his game to the next level? Um, so. Not a, a really strong draft class overall there. Um, so then you look at, at 2020, and they had 20 
24 defensive ends taken. That, that's the most since 2014 when we had 24 as well. Uh, Jadavion Clowney, D. Ford, Demarcus Lawrence, Stephon Tuitt, all taken in 2014. And obviously, we know last year we had uh, a generational talent, if you will, in Chase Young, uh, the, the defensive rookie of the year, a guy that really showed up as advertised. Uh, some other guys that are really, uh, you know, exciting. Uh, you know, Yitro Gross Matos, I think is gonna is gonna pan out there for for the Panthers. Um, yeah, as as you look at it. Uh, I think if, if Terrell Lewis can stay healthy there for the Rams, he could be an interesting pick. Alex Highsmith for the Steelers, man. He's a guy that I'm really looking forward to see play with TJ Watt this year. Uh, I think he has a chance to start. I thought DJ won him in the fourth round. He's a guy for the Vikings that's stepping up and, and playing well. Alton Robinson fell to number five uh, or to round five, and he's actually been able to get after the quarterback a little bit himself as well. So there are some guys to get excited about. Uh, it'll be interesting to see exactly how everything plays out. But you know, this was a draft, or last year was a draft where you had 10 players come off the board on day two, and then another eight come off the board in rounds four and five. So, you know, it's one of those things. You look at the draft class, and maybe, yeah, you didn't have a ton of guys come off the board in round one. Just two. Chase Young and, uh, and uh, Kalevin Chasen. That's it. But you had the depth uh, of the group really on day two. And I think that's where a lot of the depth is going to be with this with this draft class. Now, you don't have the star, the premier star at, at the top of the draft like you have with Chase Young. But I think there's going to be a lot of talent to be had. And uh, I really want to dive in and, and take a look at some of these guys. I think we have a chance to have another, you know, between 20 and 24 uh, edge rushers, or I should say defensive ends, taken in the draft. And, and my number one is Quiddy Pay out of Michigan. You know, he's 6'4", 270 pounds. I mean, come on. This is a guy who uh, shows up at the combine, uh, or really is pro day. I guess it's he qualified for the combine for a quote unquote combine, but really it's his pro day. And uh, he ran a hand time 4.52, which is just sick for a guy his size. And then reps out 36 reps in the bench press, only confirms just how strong this guy is. And you watch him at uh, on film, and this is a guy who has he's so heavy handed, very powerful at the point of attack with those hands. Pop for days, very violent with, with those hands. And drives his man back into the backfield. But here's the thing: he has tremendous bend as well. He, he has that that legendary three cone drill that that you know was went viral. And he's a guy that uh, is very interesting. Yes, he you know he he'll dip that inside shoulder, gain leverage uh, as he turns the corner. But he's also a guy. Not only can he line up at the wide you know the wide nine technique, but they can also even line him up inside at defensive tackle at the three technique. And he's still able to get home because of the speed and, and the ability to to generate that speed to power. And he's a tremendously powerful guy you know on the inside as well. Uh, so a lot of people are going to point to, well, you know, Quinny Pay, uh, you know, just two sacks this year and uh, 11 and a half in his career, 23 and a half tackles for loss. Is this a guy that's really going to be able to get home at the next level? Please come on now. When you look at this guy, 25 pressures in just four games because, you know, he battled some injuries in, in 2020. So we only got to play in four games. And remember, you know, the, the Big Ten only got to play you know, in, in six games as it is. So, according to Sports Info Solutions, he generated a pressure rate of 
So 23% of the time, he's actually getting pressures. I mean, this is a guy who's going to be in your quarterback's face. And, you know, here, here's one of the things that, that I thought was really nice. You know, I, I talked about that speed to power. He's actually developed a really effective push-pull to, to really ultimately get that off the tackle, off balance, and really throw him out of the way. I mean, that power, uh, you know, to be able to just throw guys aside um, and, you know, watch out for him when he's lined up as an interior lineman on those stunts because when he loops around he's able to bend and get around in a hurry and once he gets that head of steam going watch out because he is lightning quick for a guy his size um and for me i just i loved watching him and uh, and aiden hutchinson who's going to be a potential first round pick in next year's draft he decided to come back to michigan but but look quitty pay I've been all over the board with him. I had him at uh, at 14 to, to Minnesota. I, I, you know, I have him right now with my mock draft to, to Miami. But he's really, to me, a guy that, that he's a 4-3 defensive end. Let, let's not make any mistake about it. And the more I think about it with Dallas, um, Tyrone Crawford announced his retirement from the game. And honestly... What they need to do is get that offensive line or that defensive line shored up. Because right now, when you look at it, you have Demarcus Lawrence and then everybody else. You got Carlos Watkins, Dorrance uh, Armstrong, Bradley and I, uh, Brent Urban, uh, guys who are nice role players, but they're not guys that are going to sit there and get you excited to the point to where you're like, all right, they've got a, a dominant defensive line. They're nice role players, but you need to get another alpha up front that's going to be able to put court, you know, pressure on that quarterback on a consistent basis. So what did Dallas do that ultimately helped that running game on offense? They loaded up on, on the offensive excuse me, on that offensive line. You had Tyron Smith, Lyle Collins, Zach Martin, uh, you know, now with, with Tyler Beattis taking over for Tyler Frederick uh, up front, Connor Williams as well. You go and you take care of that defensive line. You've got Neville Gallimore, Tristan Hill on the inside, along with Antoine Woods. You'll probably look for a defensive tackle at some point as well. You've got some of those other guys that I mentioned, the nice role players at defensive end. But you get Pay, you get Demarcus Lawrence, and I think that's really going to help the linebackers behind them. If they're going to be taking up and absorbing a lot of the blockers, then that's going to allow J- Jalen Smith, Leighton Vander Esch to, to make some plays. It'll make things interesting. You know, may, you know, as long as Jalen Smith and Leighton Vander Esch can stay healthy and can make some plays on the football, then I, I think that definitely improves that defense quite a bit. So to me, I think that's going to ultimately be where I have Quiddy Pay coming off the board. So when my mock draft does get released, and I'm hoping to have that done here in the next few days, you'll see Quiddy Pay number 10 to Dallas. Uh, my number two guy, and, and look, you know, I've been back and forth with this one as well, uh, but my number two guy... Um, Coming off the board, at least, is Jalen Phillips out of out of Miami. And he's 6'5", 266, uh, ran a 4'5", 640 at the Combine. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and I keep saying Combine, it's his pro day. 36-inch vertical leap at 6'5", 260 pounds. I mean, a guy that just definitely moves very, very well. Um, and uh, what's interesting about, about Jalen Phillips, he was the former number one overall recruit. At UCLA, you know, battled some concussions, battled a wrist injury, and ultimately this, you know, thought that he was going to be retiring from the game, retiring from football. And rather than do that, he transfers from Westwood 
out to the U and had a tremendous, tremendous year. Um, when I look at Jalen Phillips, um, I, I, that change of scenery was really what he was looking for. Stayed healthy, solidified his, stat, his status as a top edge rusher. And what I like about him is he's not he, he's one of the more complete edge rushers. He and Quiddy Pay both because they have that athleticism that I talked about, but he has the power in his hands and, and he has a variety of pass rush moves. He can beat you with the bull rush, get underneath your pad level, drive you back. That converting that speed to power is, is everything. And you see the, the explosiveness out of him. The handwork is exceptional. Slaps the offensive tackle's hands aside, uh, you know, right off the snap, and then works to turn the corner in a hurry. He, this is a guy that loves to attack the inside. You know, he, you're going to see him run stunts and come looping around. Uh, equally disruptive coming in on the inside, uh, and those hands again. He'll he'll get into the body of the guard, drives him backwards, disengages, and then gets to the quarterback. Um, you know, he's a guy, look, 15 and a half tackles for loss, eight and a half sacks in his only season with the Hurricanes. And, uh, you know, the only thing that really bothered me, if you got to watch that UNC game, the Tar Heel running back duo of, of Javante Williams and Michael Carter combined for over 400 yards on the ground. And I, I think like five or six touchdowns, they repeatedly got the corner because Jalen Phillips was overly aggressive and kept trying to shoot inside. And ultimately, he lost contain. And what were they doing? They were running, basically just running right outside and just taking off because there was nobody to the outside. He kept losing contain. There wasn't a linebacker out there. And they run for days. So I think that's one of the things. He needs to be a little bit more disciplined and set a hard edge against the run. But man, the, the future is definitely bright for Jalen Phillips. And I said that he's, he's my number two guy coming off the board. I lied about that. Uh, Jalen Phillips, I think, should be coming off the board 26 overall to the Browns. He could come off the board a lot quicker than that. But uh, when I look at things, at least right now, and I, I talked about Quiddy Pay going number 10 overall, I may have to shuffle some things around. Um, so Jalen Phillips, there's a good chance he end up, he could end up going to Miami uh, at number 18, um, which will put him ahead of, of Gregory Rousseau, who's my number three. So I had him penciled in there with Cleveland. I think Cleveland needs to get a running mate for, for Miles Garrett. So there's a good chance if he's there on the board, that's where Jalen Phillips goes. But look, you know, he, he's 6'5", 260, ran a 4'5", 640. He's a guy that, you know, has that athleticism. I think that Miami will be a great fit for him uh, coming off the edge. And, um, you know, at 6'5", uh, again, 6'5", 260, when you think about that, if you are a Miami Dolphin fan, you know, there, there should be one name that absolutely comes to mind when you think about that that type of size, right? I mean, it should at least. That, that, that's that's talking Jason Taylor size. You know, 6'6", 244, what was Jason Taylor? You know, coming out of Akron, you know, this is a guy to me, um, you know, you're, you're looking for another one of those guys. You're looking for another athlete like this. You know, a guy that could be a defensive end, an outside linebacker. I think Jalen Phillips is going to be that guy. I could see Miami. They need another edge rusher. Henry Van Ginkle can't do it all alone. So I think you get that edge rusher, and uh, then Miami targets possibly a running back there in round two. So after that, I mentioned Gregory Rousseau, and yes, you know, I, I think he's, he's going to be the number three defensive end coming off the board. Um, now that I've made that change with with uh, with Jalen Phillips, uh, but Gregory Rousseau, he's six seven, two sixty five. In high school, he was six six, two 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 hundred twenty two pounds. 
Um, he played defensive end, safety, and was a receiver in high school. After redshirting, put on 40 pounds, and suddenly just became a force coming off the edge. Uses that incredible length to his advantage um, coming off the edge. And, and you know what's scary? I mean, it's an 83-inch wingspan. Um, you know, and ran a 4.6840. Not as explosive as I thought he was going to be, though. You know, only a 30-inch vertical leap. Um, he, with those long arms, still put up 225, 21 pounds, um, which is impressive. I mean, when you think about having that long wingspan and moving all that weight. Uh, that is a that is a pretty impressive bench press overall. Uh, Rousseau, look for as raw as he as he is, still managed 15 and a half sacks. I mean that's what's insane. Um, you know, and when you talk about when you watch his film and you talk about him, gets those hands into the body of the offensive tackle in a hurry, drives the man back, gets him off balance, able to disengage and then chase down the ball carrier. Has that nose for the football. Um, you know, gets those hands, like I said, inside. You'll see that rip move, uh, fluidity with those hips to bend, turn the corner in a hurry. You see some of that athleticism, you know, when he was playing receiver. Uh, and look, Miami loved to line him up all over the field to create mismatches. Just, you know, much like Quiddy Pay, you know, you saw him line up a lot of times at defensive tackle. Not only use that quickness coming off the ball to beat the interior lineman, uh, also using that length to generate the speed, the power as well from the interior, getting an effective bull rush on the inside. Uh, that relative inexperience, I think that will give some teams pause because there really isn't a whole huge body of work to see if he's fully grasped all the nuances of the position. He, he, he sat out 2020, so we, we really have to rely on the 2019 film and hope that you know what he has progressed as a player. He's a young guy. And so that's part really what worries me about him uh, in the draft is, you know, you're really kind of going based on a lot of the traits more than anything else. And I think that's, we're going to see that with a lot of guys in this draft class. But when you look at the Colts, uh, Taekwon Lewis, Isaac Rochelle, uh, Ben Banigou, Kamoko Ture, you know, those are the guys that are really left uh, rushing the passer now that Danico Autry has moved on to, I believe it's Tennessee, and uh, Justin Houston is no longer on the roster. So you need to get another uh, guy coming off the edge there at defensive end. And I think Gregory Rousseau is ultimately, uh, he should be that guy. So when we look at, at the defensive ends, I've only mentioned three to this point. And uh, what's crazy is, is I think those will be the only three taken. There's a good chance that KC ends up going with a guy like Joseph Osai here um, to, par to partner up with Frank Clark. It just depends on what happens with their offensive tackles. You know, they, they let both Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz go. So what are you going to do with tackle? You know, you're going to need to draft a tackle at some point, potentially two in the draft. Um, so if Osai or, or Basham, you know, they're both probably going to be on the board. I would take either one of them. I, I really would. So if we're looking at who's the next guy, then? well, the, the next guy could very well be, I mentioned Osai. Um, I, I think both he and Basham should be the, the next target. And when you talk Joseph Osai, this is a guy whose motor never stopped. And I, I think he continued to develop at, at Texas. You know, a linebacker the first couple of years there, really played primarily with his hand in the dirt. Um, and he's another guy that you're going to point to, hey, just 11 and a half sacks. He just had five and, a, five and a half sacks last year. What You know, that's not that impressive. He had 30 tackles for loss. You know, including you know back-to-back -back seasons with uh, at least 13 and a half tackles for loss. 
Um, you know, and a guy, you know, three forced fumbles uh, and a couple of pass breakups as well. So definitely had a nose for the football. 2019, the guy had 90 tackles at, at the linebacker position as well. Um, but a guy that just always seemed to be living in opposing backfields. Um, just always putting pressure. And that's one of the things that I thought was a lot of fun when I watched Joseph Osai play was, you know, he just, that quick first step, powerful hands, and then the relentless motors, always wanting to work. And that was really what was fun. Um, you know, you can't look at the stats he because he lived in opposing backfields. That's, you know, he was just so disruptive. And I'm a huge fan of his. I think Joseph Osai could go, come off the board late round one. I think ultimately comes off the board round two. I think the Bengals could take him there. Um, you know, Atlanta needs a, a an edge rusher as well. Um, if the Jets don't go uh, edge rusher, they could go with an edge rusher here in, in round two as well. Um, Carlos Boogie Basham is another guy. Um, and again, I compared him to AJ Epinesa and said, well, I think, you know, he's a guy that has similar body type and you know, he's just not as as explosive. And I don't know what in the world I was, was paying attention to. Because, yes, you know, AJ uh, Epinesa, 6'6", 280, but he ran a 5'04", You know, not all that impressive, you know, when, when you think about things. And what does Boogie Basham do? Boogie Basham shows up, and for a guy who's 6'5", 285, ran a 4'6", 40. You know, and, and so much more explosive than I think anybody was ever giving the guy credit for. Um, and when you look at the body, the dude's actually a physical freak. This guy's this guy's jacked. 36-inch um, vertical leap, um, bench press over 400 pounds, squatted over 700 pounds as well. Uh, incredibly productive for the Demon Deacon. 19 and a half sacks, 13 and a half tackles for loss in the last three seasons. Um, not necessarily a guy that's going to bend all that well. Um, hands uses the hands really well, and then once you allow him to flatten out and come to you know get to the quarterback, he's he's coming at you, and he's another guy with a nonstop motor. That's the thing that I love about this draft class. So many guys with a nonstop motor, they're always going to be coming after you, and it's a lot of fun to to watch these guys. Um, the next guy that I have to talk about is Ronnie Perkins out of Oklahoma. Uh, he's 6'3", 253. Um, you know, if you just look at, hey, you know, his his pro day, well, he, you're not going to be all that impressed with with that uh, the 40 time. He ran a 4.72, um, which isn't spectacular when you're talking about some of these other guys. Um, and he measures in at 6'2 and 253. So, you know, is he a guy that that uh, is is going to win with speed all the time? You know, I think what you do see with, with Ronnie Perkins is a guy that is very versatile in his way to get to the quarterback. He's going to get his hands underneath your pad level and he's going to jack you back. He's going to get that hand underneath the armpit of that offensive lineman to get him off balance. Um, very violent with those hands, very physical um, You know, for a guy who's only 6'2 and 253 pounds. But I think he does bend pretty well. I think he is pretty quick off the ball. Um, and that, that 474. Four, look, how often is he really running a 40 yard dash? This is a guy who's got short area quickness. And here's the biggest thing about, about Ronnie Perkins. I mentioned guys with a nonstop motor, but Ronnie Perkins, what he did for OU's defense is, is so, you know, nothing short of remarkable. You think about OU this past season. Starting out the year, they lose two games to Iowa State and K State, right? They did not look 
like a, a defense that team that teams were going to be talking about, you know, as just a, a powerhouse defense. You know, we were hoping uh, that Alex Grinch would be able to get through to that defense, and you didn't really see it, but you could see what Ronnie Perkins meant to that defense once he took the field, because that defense played differently. Suddenly you had four and five guys, six guys sometimes rallying to the football. What did he mean to the guys up front? Perrion Winfrey turned into a, an absolute freak of nature there at the nose tackle position. Why? It's because number seven was on the field. Yes, he was suspended for five games after testing positive for, for marijuana uh, prior to the Peach Bowl. But man, this was the guy who made an impact. Made an impact on the team. I, I think he... You know, he, he stepped up as a leader even before the, the suspension was up. They allowed him to be on the field. They allowed him to coach, coach his team up. And you could see what he meant to those guys. And that's something to me more than anything else. When Ronnie Perkins, wherever he goes, and I think he's coming off the board in round two, wherever he goes, I think he's going to be successful. To me, he could very well end up being one of the top, if not the top edge rusher in this draft, I think Ronnie Perkins, there is something special um, with him because of what he did at OU and just the way that he elevated the play of everyone else around him. Which takes us to Jason Owen. He's 6'5", 257, and the dude runs a 4'3", 640. Are you kidding me? 39 and a half inch vertical leap as well. We knew that he was going to be a physical freak. We knew that these stats were going to be ridiculous. But let's not go Mike Mamula on everyone, okay? You know, you remember him from, from the Eagles when he was drafted in the top 10 after a freakish uh, combine performance. Jason Owe in three seasons there at Penn State, seven sacks, 13 and a half tackles for loss. Zero sacks in 2020. Zero. Never got home. And it's one of those things to where you're talking about premier edge rushers and we're hearing people talk about him in the first round. You're taking a physical freak, a guy that has the all the potential in the world, but the production. And, and I know you could say, well, you can't just look at the stats. You have to look at, at potential a lot of times. And look... If, you, if you've got zero sacks, you're an edge rusher. You're a guy that's supposed to be getting after the quarterback on a consistent basis. Chase Young did not get drafted number two overall because he had zero sacks. Jason Owe is a tremendous athlete who's playing football. You know, he's not a, a great football player who, hap, you know, who happens to be a great athlete as well. And I think that's one of the things. He's going to take time. And for me, I'm not taking him in round one. I think he's a round two guy, and you develop this guy, you know, and you may have something, but it's going to take time. I think it's going to take time. Now, a guy who needs no, uh, no introduction, uh, a guy who sat out 2020, but a guy who I think um, has a chance to be a first rounder, and that's Joe Tryon out of out of Washington, six five, two sixty two, actually showed up. At his combine he, or at his pro day, he actually measured in at 6'4, 251. And then he turns around and runs a 4'5, 40. You know, I mean, 4'5. I mean, that's that's pretty that's moving for a guy his size. And coming off the edge, we already knew about the power with this guy. 
he, he's someone who would bend the edge and, and look, the ankle flexion, uh, his, his hip flexibility, he played with, with excellent leverage, getting low, but then he would fire into those offensive linemen, drive them back, um, use those hands really well uh, to rip through as he's coming off the off the edge and get to the quarterback. Had 12 and a half tackles for loss, eight sacks. Um, you know, we always knew about the power, but now we know that he ha- that he has the speed as well. Now look, he's far from a finished product too. He's the guy that can't set the edge to save his life. He's the guy that's overly aggressive, getting into the backfield, and I don't think that he really that he plays the run all that well just yet. He's a guy I think he can get there. We know that he's strong. We know that he's an athlete. We just need him to set the edge a little bit better against the run. And, uh, you know, he's a guy, you know, he's going to be that uh, either late one or, or early two. Patrick Jones the second out of Pittsburgh. He's 6'5", 260 pounds, a guy that was tremendously productive for the Panthers. Uh, 32 tackles for loss, 21 and a half sacks, um, you know, at eight and a half to nine sacks in each of the last two seasons. Uh, a guy who has a nose for the football, four pass breakups, five forced fumbles in his career as well. And the thing with, with Patrick Jones that I thought was was really interesting, something that I, I thought was was telling of, of uh, this guy's competitive nature, shows about the Senior Bowl. And Pro Football Focus noted that his 17% win rate in the one-on-ones was the lowest among the edge rushers. Game time shows up. We got a different Jones the second. Dude was an absolute menace. Two sacks, four quarterback pressures in the backfield nonstop. And he shows that he can beat the tackles off the edge with speed. Offers a nice ripper and arm over. Uh, can beat the, cor- the the offensive tackle that's oversetting with an inside move to the quarterback as well. Nice array of pass rush moves there. Um, to me, Patrick Jones is a either a late two or early three, and uh, a guy who I think has the athleticism to potentially be a uh, an outside linebacker as well. So that offers up a little bit of versatility for him, which uh, I, I think is only going to bode well for his future. Rashad Weaver. His running mate there at Pittsburgh, 6'5", 270. Uh, for some reason, it just feels like the, the Raiders would be a great fit for him. Um, you know, th- This is a guy who I, I think compared nicely with uh, Max Crosby. He paired well with Patrick Jones II. I think he put him with Crosby and, and let him go to town coming off the edge. You know, He registered nine and a half sacks in his first two seasons with the Panthers. Then he goes down to an ACL tear. Shows back up in 2020, seven and a half sacks, 14 tackles for loss. He's not overly bendy, but I think he does have a good burst coming off the ball. Uses his hands and length to clear the edge against the offensive tackle. Uh, But I think he's not a one-trick pony either. Sets a strong edge against the run. uh, Reads reads the play really well, reacts, and and does a good job chasing the ball carrier down from behind as well. Um, I look at Rashad Weaver. uh, I think he's going to be a third-round pick. um, But a guy... For me, um, you know that, that injury, he definitely showed that he's fully back and healed from that injury. So um, he's a guy that third round feels about right. Now, a guy who, who really hurt himself in, in January, just a, a significant injury, uh, was, was Deo Odengbo out of uh, Vanderbilt. He was 6'6", 276. This is a guy... Uh, 26 and a half tackles for loss. The guy that just knows how to make plays behind the line of scrimmage. 
Shows a little bit of uh, ability to get after the quarterback with eight, eight sacks. A guy who I think is scheme versatile. He can be a, uh, a five technique and a 34 defense. Can also put his hand in the dirt as a, as a 4-3 defensive end. Um, but he tears his Achilles in January. So what does that do to his draft stock? This is a guy who had a chance to be a day two pick. I think he falls to day, to, you know, to day three. But look... I look at the Tennessee Titans and I use the, the formula there with, with Jeffrey Simmons, a guy that they knew likely wasn't going to play much, if at all, his rookie season. And they still took him in the first round. Um, it's like Caleb Farley with, with his back. If the back checks out, he's going round one. If it doesn't, then he ends up being like like Jalen Smith and Miles Jack, guys that fall in, you know, uh, out of the first round and into round number two. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with, with Odangbo, uh, especially with where he's at on the Achilles injury. Um, that's something I've experienced myself. So it's something to where I would be surprised if he's back in time uh, for for week one of the season. Uh, maybe as we get into November, December, uh, you know, he might be able to, to see the field. But, man, it's a tricky injury. Um Fourth, fifth, fifth round, you know, I think feels about right for him. Um, Peyton Turner's an interesting guy out of Houston. You know, he's 6'6", 270, long arms. A guy that just, you know, he found a way to get to the quarterback. Only played in five games, but had five sacks and ten and a half tackles for loss during that time. Um, had a disappointing 40 time. Um, you know, I had it in the four nines. Um, you know, a guy, too, that uh, was inconsistent, I, I thought, at times there in the senior bowl. Um, but look, make no mistake about it. This is a guy who, you know, nine pass breakups as well, has tremendous length, um, and a guy that I think could also end up being a uh, five technique in a 34 defense when it's all said and done. I think that's probably going to be his home. I'll give you the name of a guy who I think is going to get drafted a lot higher than people expect, and that's Jonathan Cooper out of Ohio State. Uh, 6'3", 253, uh, ran a 4'6", 9'40 at the combine. Is Three-cone drill was under seven seconds, which is impressive. Um, just 10 sacks and 15 tackles for loss in his career. But this is a guy, you know, that, that's battled injuries. You know, when you look at it, you know, he, he, missed, uh, he missed time in virtually every season. And so that's really what's going to hurt him. It's going to bring his draft stock down a, a little bit. But a guy that I think when he's healthy, this is a guy that has some of that versatility. He can be... Um, either a, a 43 defensive end, put his hand in the dirt, but he can also be that outside linebacker uh, in a 34 defense. And when you're running a, a 4 6 9 40, um, at 6 3 2 53, you could potentially be that outside that outside linebacker. Um, put up 225, 28 times as well. Uh, I think Jonathan Cooper could probably, I don't think he sneaks into round three, although he could. Um, especially if at, at Ohio State's second pro day, if he decides to run the 40 again and he gets, uh, if he drops that into the, the low four sixes, possibly in, even into the four fives, then maybe you see him creep in there. But I think he'll probably end up being a fourth or fifth rounder um, you know, if, if I had to say you know, where he's coming off the board. Um, as I continue looking through this group, and again, it's a, it's a pretty impressive group. I'm going to stop off at, at Ade Ogundeje there for, for Notre Dame. He's 6'4", 269 pounds, 7-foot wingspan, which is absolutely ridiculous. Runs a 4.7140 and a 36.5-inch vertical leap. So we know that the guy is an athletic specimen. And the thing is, is it translates to the field. Now, this is a guy where you have a running back that's trying to get outside, you know, gets up to a head of steam, and ultimately what 
Open Deji is able to do is get off his block and move laterally and drop the guy down on, on the edge uh, for basically no gain. Open Deji is an athlete. And, and the thing with it is, is unlike a, a guy like Owe, who just has a hard time getting to the quarterback, um, um Ogun Deje can absolutely get after the quarterback, in my opinion. Um, you know, he's a guy that I think is going to set, you know, he sets a really nice edge against the run um, as well. And to me, overall, a, a guy that I think, could he be a, a day day two guy? Probably not. You probably see Ogun Deje fall to, to round three, but he, he's very impressive. Um, he's not, he's not going to be overly bendy. But uh, he'll use that burst, solid handwork, surprising changes of direction skills, like I mentioned. Um, and, and he's going to you know, play with power at the point of attack. Um, so I think he has some of that versatility there uh, to potentially be a, a fourth round pick. Um, I, I think that could be where, where we see Ogundeje come off the board. Now, his running mate there at Notre Dame, um, not quite the athlete um, as Ogundeje, but pretty close. Dalen Hayes. He's 6'3", 253, ran a 4'6", 940, which is actually a little bit faster than Ogun Deje. Um, you know, 26 reps in the bench press, uh, 32.5-inch vertical leap. Um, this is a guy, uh, nine sacks, 20.5 tackles for loss, four pass breakups, four forced fumbles, five fumble recoveries. Definitely a guy that has a nose for the football. Was one of the leaders of, of that Notre Dame defense. And uh, a guy that I think is, you know, still probably has his best football ahead of him. Um, this was a guy who, you know, they didn't rely on him to have to get after the quarterback all the time, but a guy that really did a lot of, of pressuring and ultimately forcing quarterbacks to make the, you know, the poor decision. And when you've got guys you know, behind you uh, named, you know, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa and uh, Kyle Hamilton, the fabulous safety, who's going to be a, a top prospect in next year's draft, um, you know, you, you don't have to necessarily get home against the quarterback um, to ultimately uh, rattle his cage a little bit. So to me, I think Hayes probably fourth or fifth round pick at this point, but a guy to definitely keep an eye on. Uh, another guy to keep an eye on, um, freakishly athletic, is, is Cameron Sample. He's 6'3", 280 pounds. Um, I think he actually measured in a little bit a little bit lighter than that, but ends up running, they, they said it was a 4'5", 940, uh, a 37-inch vertical leap, 23 uh, reps in, at 225 in the bench press. Uh, a guy who really started coming on uh, this past season uh, as a sophomore, had a, had a solid year, five and a half tackles for loss, four sacks, um, had a dip in the number of sacks, still have four pass breakups, but only one and a half sacks as a junior. Stepped it up, seven and a half tackles for loss, five sacks as a senior. And I, I think there is some scheme versatility here for him. Um, I think he could potentially be a... a a five technique if you need to but you know sample to me i think should be a four three defensive end and i thought he definitely helped himself in terms of his draft stock with what he did at his pro day um i think that kind of solidifies himself as an early uh as opposed to a mid to late day three guy um this is a guy that i you know for tulane i thought he was effective really with his power at the point of attack that's where you saw that a lot but he did win with, with a, a good burst excellent hands um good leverage as well and then he has a nice array of pass rush moves as well so a guy that uh, at the senior bowl played really well 
Uh, actually racked up seven tackles, a half a sack, a half a tackle loss, uh, tackle for loss. Earned him Defensive Player of the Game honors. So this is a guy that was a group of five guy at Tulane who really has started to elevate his stock and people are starting to talk about him. He's a guy that's going to pass up a lot of other guys um, you know, just because of, of that momentum that he's been building during the pre-draft process. Uh, Wyatt Hubert out of K-State is another guy who's a lot of fun. Uh, ran a seven-second three-cone drill. Uh, he's 6'3", 270, the junior. Uh, 33 tackles for loss, 20 sacks in his career. He's a guy that's a lot of fun because he plays with his hair on fire. He's got that, that, that golden mane that, that's hanging out of his helmet. And he's a guy that just has a motor that never quits. He's got some nasty to him. You're going to see some personal foul, foul penalties. You're going to have to get him to dial back a little bit on that. But uh, definitely a guy that can bend a little bit. Uh, really strong at the point of attack as well. Uh, a, a guy that when you see him out on the field, you're like, there's no way this guy is going to be that explosive. And then he, he has that, that first step. A guy that I think, um, you know, he'll take a jab step to the outside and beat you to the inside. Um, so there's a little bit of twitchiness to his game as well. When he runs a seven-second seven uh, three-cone drill at 6'3", 270, uh, I think that's definitely going to make you take notice. Uh, Jaquan Bailey out of Iowa State is going to be a guy that I think will be a mid to late uh, day three guy. He's 6'2", 261, ran a 4'7", 240, uh, only 19 reps at 225 in the bench press. Uh, but a guy who's one of uh, Iowa State's top pass rushers and, and was setting records there with 44 tackles for loss, 25 sacks. This is a guy who, uh, after three games, ended up getting a season-ending season uh, ACL injury there in 2019. Uh, but prior to that, you know, just an absolute beast. Uh, you know, two straight seasons um, with double-digit tackles for loss. And uh, a guy that just continues to rack up sacks. Shows up in 2020, uh, and I thought that he, he looked like he a, a little bit of a step slower uh, than he was in 2018. Still managed 13 tackles for loss and seven sacks. You know, a guy who, another guy with relentless motor. I just thought that he got blocked a lot more. Uh, it felt like he just he couldn't always disengage. Allowed that a lot of those offensive linemen to get their hands into his body. And look, the 19 reps in the bench press tells me you know, yes this guy wasn't as strong as he needed to be to get off some of those blocks and so i think for those reasons he'll probably end up falling just a little bit in the draft uh but a guy who i think is definitely impressive is is victor uh uh there at a, at a duke he's 6'2 265 um 80 plus inch wingspan uh, which again is ridiculous uh, 28 reps at 225, 34-inch vertical leap, ran a 4.7940. A guy who, look, everyone talked about Chris Rumpf, but I, I think uh, Victor is probably uh, a better pro prospect when it's all said and done. You look at, you know, 32 tackles for loss, 21 and a half sacks, um, you know, four forced fumbles, three pass breakups in his career. A guy who is a, a no-nonsense um, edge rusher. He's physical at the point of attack. Um, pretty athletic, a guy that I think can bend a little bit. But look, he's 6'1", 262, so really a, a stockier guy, um, wins with leverage. So he'll be an interesting guy to keep an eye on in uh, mid-day three range. Uh, another guy that's interesting, we're actually going to talk about two Florida State Seminoles. First one's going to be Janarius Robinson, a guy who I think has played his way into fourth-round consideration. Uh, he's 6'5", 260, and... Uh, you know, 20 and a half tackles for loss, eight sacks, not all that impressive um, when you look at that. But a guy who I thought played with a relentless motor, 
Um, not overly twitchy, not going to be overly explosive, but a guy who is strong at the point of attack. Um, excellent bull rush uh, that you're going to see out of him. But here's the thing. 87-inch wingspan is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and, and when you think about it, too, you know, he ran a 4.7240, 34-inch vertical leap, 25 reps at the bench press with a freaking 87-inch wingspan. I mean, that's that's a lot of weight to travel a long way. Um, this is the guy, he's just, he's so raw. And he's so inconsistent when you watch him play. You'll see him in the open field, and man, he's making plays left and right. Uh, and then all of a sudden, He'll, he'll disappear. He'll disappear on you. So I think Janarius Robinson is a guy that um, he needs to get to the right program, the right uh, franchise um, that I'll be patient with him and allow him to develop. Um, I, I think if you're able to allow him to develop, he's a guy to keep an eye out for. Um, you know, another guy there at Florida State, uh, you know, who I, I, I thought was pretty interesting was, was Joshua Kando. They had him at 6'7", 265. Um, he's actually a couple of inches shorter. He's actually 6'5", 261. Uh, ran a 4'6", 340, though. Um, you know, this is a guy who I think another, you know, big physical defensive end, not going to be overly explosive, not overly bendy. Um, you know, 16 and a half tackles for loss and eight sacks. Another guy who I thought was, was rather raw, but you see some of the skills. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be a mid to late day three pick, but a guy to keep an eye out for because he may be a better pro than he was uh, a collegian. Malcolm Koontz out of Buffalo. Uh, a guy who's 6'4", 249, ran a 4'7", 340. Uh, I think this is a guy who has a, has the potential to be a 3'4 outside linebacker. 22 and a half sack, uh, I'm sorry, 22 and a half tackles for loss and 17 sacks. Uh, a guy who um, I thought was inconsistent this year getting after the quarterback. I think he struggled at times to get off blocks. He didn't have his his running mate uh, along with him. And so I think that really hurt, you know, having not having Taylor Riggins opposite him. Teams were able to double him up and he struggled to get off of those blocks. I think because of that, I think he's going to have to play out in space. Um, play that 3-4 that outside linebacker position. Um, I, I think because of that, you know, you'll probably see him come off the board uh, probably you know, anywhere between the 5th round and the 7th round. Probably more like the 6th to 7th, though. Um, Taron Jackson out of Coastal Carolina. This dude was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, you know, he's 6'2", 260, um, and a guy that you know, just knew how to get after the quarterback. Uh, and, and you know, 42 tackles for loss, 24 and a half sacks. Definitely a guy that knew how to get there and get home. Six forced fumbles. Um, definitely a playmaker for the Chanticleers. And he was the guy, you know, he was the bell cow for them, if you will. If you could have a bell cow on defense, he was the guy that really uh, was the tip of the spear uh, coming off the edge. Wasn't overly explosive. You know, and that's the thing. You know, that, I, I think that's what's impressive when you look at his his ability to get home. I think that's a lot of technique. I think it's a lot of you know the hand usage. Um, because look, he ran a four seven forty, um, only twenty nine and a half inch vertical leap. So not the most lower body uh, explosiveness. And, and I think you do see that at times. You know, if you allow him to um, you know to bend and get underneath the the offensive tackle, then I think he's in, in much better shape. But you really needed to kind of get allow him to get off blocks, get quick off the ball, not allow that offensive tackle to engulf him. Um, so he's one of those guys. I don't know that he can necessarily be a, a three-four outside linebacker and play in space. So I'm a little worried about him transitioning to the next level. Um, 
but I think Taron Jackson probably going to end up being in that sixth round range if I had to guess. Um, as we continue to look through the group, Chauncey Golston out of Iowa is another guy that I think could get drafted. Um, he's another guy that you know showed up at 6'5", 270. Um, he's actually 6'3", 270. Ran a 4'8", 940. Not the twitchiest guy by any means, but he's definitely powerful at the point of attack. Uh, 27 tackles for loss. A guy that you know knew how to make plays in the backfield. Um, had at least eight and a half tackles for loss in each of the last three seasons for the Hawkeyes. Uh, seven pass breakups. So definitely has a nose for the football. Three interceptions in his career as well. Um, so not the twitchiest guy, but definitely going to be powerful at the point of attack. Um, you know, he may end up being a guy that could be a, a five technique when it's all said and done as well. He just, he, he looks like, you know, if you look at his body type, he feels more like a, a, uh, a 34 defensive end more than anything else. And then one last guy, when we look at this draft class, guy that I really feel for is Malik Herring out of Georgia. He's 6'3", 280. Uh, you know, part of that whole rotation there at Georgia. So you really can't look at the stats. Just 11 and a half tackles for loss and four sacks. But this is a guy I thought really had the had the ability, you know, if he wowed some people at his pro day, could potentially move into that, you know, late third, early fourth round range. Um, you know, I just, I love the athleticism for a guy his size. He ends up tearing his ACL at the Senior Bowl in January. Um, so that really clouds where he's going to be. I, I wanted to see him flash some of that athleticism to ultimately allow him to to raise that draft stock. Now with that ACL tear, I'm, I'm kind of worried. I'm kind of worried about, about him. Is he going to be a guy that's still going to come off the board, sixth, seventh round range? Um, you know, you have that ACL tear in January. You pretty much all have all but have to write that 2021 season off. Um, so that's a little bit concerning for me with, with him. Um, but, you know, look, we've covered over 20 guys, um, and I think there's a great chance that every single one of these guys could get drafted. Um, you know, and we could be talking about having, you know, another draft class with, with 20 to 24 um, edge rushers taken. So that's really exciting. And look, you, you've got a lot of different, uh, a lot of different guys here. I think the guys at the top, you know, what we really are talking about, they're versatile. They're not just guys that are going to play, um, you know, coming off the edge, playing that wide nine or anything like that. They can also play on the interior. They're going to line up all over the line. Um, they can set a hard edge against the run. Most of them can. Um, and they're very, they're very good with their hands, but it's the motor. Non-stop motor for a lot of these guys. They're not, they're not lazy guys. They're guys that are going to work out, work hard, get after the quarterback. I actually think, you know, we've got quite a few guys in this draft class who are going to end up being really solid pros. And I think when we, when we meet again next year, we're talking about defensive ends. I think we'll have a lot of guys that we'll be looking at going, wow, they had really nice rookie seasons and the future is looking bright for the 2021 uh, defensive end draft class. So that kind of brings the, the podcast to a close. Uh, I'm looking forward to yet another installment of the from a fan's perspective segment. Uh, I've got a couple of more guests uh, that I'm working on that, that are kind of in the hopper right now. So uh, more to come there. Hopefully we'll be able to get some of that released here pretty soon. But we're going to take a look at the defensive tackle position. And this is a, a group that's you know, pretty underwhelming overall. Um, you know, and I think that's one of the things that's pretty surprising is, you know, when we look at defensive tackles, uh, we only had 18 defensive tackles taken in last year's draft. 
Uh, and if you remember, that was Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw, um, you know, the group uh, really at the top of the draft. Um, so the trend is, is, is definitely there in terms of the, the lack of playmakers coming out at that defensive tackle position. And really, you know, you even go back to 2019, Quinn and Williams starting to really play well there for the Jets. Ed Oliver had kind of some slow going. Dexter Lawrence has played pretty well for the Giants. Christian Wilkins is decent for for the Dolphins. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons was solid for the Titans. Jeremy, uh, I'm sorry, Jerry Tillery, uh, kind of up and down there um, with, with the Chargers. So it, it's one of those things to where this is the position that um, I think is starved for for some of that talent. Um, and I think the number one defensive tackle is going to be Christian Barmore. The question is going to be, where's this guy coming off the board? Um, less than 800 snaps to his, you know, under his belt. But look, you know, eight sacks, nine and a half tackles for loss. And look, he made Justin Fields' life miserable in that national championship game. He's 6'5", 310. Um, I think he's a guy that that could come off the board as, as high as, really as high as 17 to the Raiders. Although I think the Raiders, what they've done at the uh, defensive tackle position, I don't see them taking a D tackle anymore. I think they've, they've done a decent job in free agency attacking um, the interior of that defensive line. They really needed to uh, shore up the D line a little bit, you know, in terms of, um, you know, allowing so much against the run. Um, you know, they brought in uh, guys like Solomon Thomas, Quentin Jefferson uh, to the mix to, to add with Jonathan uh, Jonathan Hankins, uh, Maurice Hurst. So they, they added a couple of guys. They could still go Christian Barmore there. I, I think the, the Jags are another team that could potentially go with um, a D-tackle like him. Um, the, the reason why I'm not as confident with the Jags right now is I think the Jags have actually been able to do a little bit there at D tackle. So it's not just Taven Bryan um, and, and Devon Hamilton. They did bring in Malcolm Brown. So that may have tempered their uh, tempered things just a little bit. Um, so it'll be interesting to see exactly where Barmore goes. He could be a guy as a luxury pick going to Tampa at 32. You know, they, they re-signed Indomitian Sioux for one more year, but look, William Golston, he's in the last year of his deal as well. So there's a good chance that if they don't go with a guy like Travis Etienne there at the end of round one, that Christian Barmore falls to him. But outside of Christian Barmore, we're going to talk about Davion Nixon, one of my favorite players in the draft out of Iowa, um, you know, and, and a few other guys. We're, you know, obviously, Jay Tufele out of USC, Levi Almuzarike, uh, the big dude in the middle, Tyler Shelvin. Aleem McNeil is an athletic pass rusher along the interior. Uh, and then we'll also have to talk about uh, the, the mystery of, of Marvin Wilson. You know, another guy where the uh, production didn't exactly match the production, or I'm sorry, the potential. And look, with Wilson, there were times where his motor ran hot and cold. So that's something to where, especially after we talk about the defensive end group with the motors that are running nonstop, you know, Marvin Wilson's, his draft stock's going to fall. Someone could potentially get the, get a steal if he can put it all together. That's a big if, though. So a lot to cover there from the defensive tackle position. I'll be putting that podcast here together in the next few days. So be on the lookout for that. Also be on the lookout for the fifth installment of the From a Fan's Perspective segment as well. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up episode 29 of the Ready for the Draft podcast 2021 edition. 
I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Hopefully everyone has enjoyed their week. Enjoy your weekends, everyone. Get ready. The draft is right around the corner. Get excited. I know I am. Take care, everyone. And until next time, I am out of here.